Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. And I'll read the last two verses for us now as we prepare to hear from Rich Sylvester as he helps us continue in our series titled The Work of Restoration. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. There's two words that I hear a lot of in my house these days. The word remember and the word forgot. Hey boys, remember to brush your teeth. Dad, I forgot my lunch at home today. Boys, remember to bring your instrument to school today for band. Dad, I forgot my cleats. Can you bring them to school? Boys, uh, can you remember to wash your hands, please? Uh, Dad, uh, we, we forgot about carpool. We're waiting at school for you. The words remember and the words forgot. These words aren't just words that I find uttered in my home a lot these days. These are words we find in Scripture. In fact, the word remember is used over 240 times in the Old Testament and often used by God, a command to his people. God says, remember. God says, remember. Because remembering fuels restoration. Remembering fuels restoration. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God instructs his people through Moses to remember. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, God says through Moses, you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He goes on and says, remember how he fed you with manna when you were hungry. Moses says, remember how your clothing did not wear out nor your feet swell. Remember how he brought you to a land, a land with brooks and flowing springs, a land with wheat and barley, a land with vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olives, a land filled with honey, a land, Moses said, that was without scarcity, a land in which you will lack nothing. Remember, Moses says, a land where the stones are iron and the hills are filled with copper. God tells his people to remember. He goes on in chapter 8, verse 11, and he says, Take care lest you forget the Lord, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes. Moses says, you will taste all these good things in the land. You will feel all the abundance of my generosity. But careful, because you will forget. 
Moses says, you will forget how the Lord brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You will forget how the Lord led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. You will forget how the Lord brought water from the rock and manna from the sky. You will forget. You will forget and you will say, look what I have done. You will forget and say, look what a great thing I did. You will forget and say, look at me. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 19, God says through his servant Moses to his people, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Remembering fuels restoration. And so God commands his people to remember. Here in Nehemiah chapter 9, it feels like the people have been doing a lot of remembering. Last week we were in chapter 8. It was the first day of the seventh month. Remember how the people gathered, men, women, and children in the the courtyard by the water gate. And they listened to Ezra as he read from God's word for six hours. They came back the next day and they heard about these festivals they hadn't been obeying the Festival of Trumpets, the the Day of Atonement, the Festival of Booths. And in obedience and great joy, they went and, and set up these little huts, these little booths around their homes and in their courtyards and in their marketplace and in their temple. And they gladly obeyed these things that they had forgotten. And it appears now, as we get to the 24th day of that same month, the people keep showing up to hear more. They keep wanting to remember all the words of God that they have forgotten. Oh, they are remembering so much. In fact, here in chapter 9, It doesn't say, but most likely it's Ezra. He stands up and he leads the people in prayer. And this is a prayer of remembrance. It's a prayer recounting all these things that God has done. The prayer begins at the moment of creation. It moves through the Exodus story. It moves into through the exile and now back into the restoration period. This prayer takes nearly 30 verses of chapter 9 for Ezra to pray. And all of it, all of it is remembering what God has done for his people. All of it is remembering how God has been faithful to his people, the ways in which he has showed up in history and showed up in time. Oh, these people are remembering a lot. I get excited about all that they are remembering, all that they are hearing. And as we listen to this prayer of remembrance, it's fueling 
the restoration. Because I think that when we remember what God has done, we remember who God is. When we remember what God has done, we remember who God is. This week was my dad's 80th birthday party, so I drove down to Charlotte for a few hours and drove back. I didn't want to miss my dad's 80th. And as we were sitting around the table, we were remembering some of the things my dad did. For example, he often brought home cupcakes for special occasions, Valentine's Day, even St. Patrick's Day, maybe just a random Friday, there was a bakery in the building below his office. That's something he did. We remember that, but what we really remember is my dad's a good gift giver. My dad's good at caring about people. My dad's good at thinking ways in which he can make people smile. We remember what he did, but we really remember who he is. I think the people of God are doing the same. As we read through this prayer of remembrance, we'll see how they remember all these things that God has done, but in it they'll remember who he is. Let's begin together in verse 6. The prayer begins... This prayer of remembrance, and Ezra says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. The people remember what God did. He created the heavens and the earth. But really, they're remembering him as creator. And as creator, they're remembering him as powerful and ultimate, that he has no rivals, that he is unmatched and eternal. Yes, they're remembering who God is. As I communicate with people in my life, I often feel that we can quickly fall into despair as we consider the world around us. War, famine, hardship. We see all these things and we can quickly become overwhelmed by it. As I was down in Charlotte celebrating my dad's 80th, I was talking to my one sister who's a public school teacher in the Durham, Durham City School District. She has third graders. And as she talked about her week, she just began to cry. There's so many hard stories, she said. She said. There's so many tough scenarios. The, king, the things these kids say the, king, the things these kids do. She said, sometimes I just want to give up. But God is creator. He's powerful, ultimate. He has no rivals. He's unmatched. He's eternal. 
The other night, Hudson, my 17-year-old son, and I were leaving church. It was after student ministries night on Thursdays. It was late. We both had our bicycles. We had one bicycle light between us. And so we, we rode next to each other as we headed to the Capitol Trail, eventually down to the Colonial Parkway and to our neighborhood. But as we were riding down the the Capitol Trail, we came to that spot where you sort of come out of the woods and you're into those fields where the farmers have just harvested the corn. The stars were bright. The moon was out. We stopped. We turned off our bicycle light. We marveled at God's creation. Hudson turned to me. We looked at the different constellations. We pointed out the North Star. And he said, why do you think there's a North Star? How do you think it came to be that there's one star perfectly placed on top of the axis of the earth, the one star that doesn't move, the one star that gives us direction? And I said to him, well, I guess it could all be chance that when the stars landed where they are, One just happened to land above the axis of earth. They said, I like to think, Hudson, that God designed it that way. That in creation, we see God's creativity, his mastery, his power. That he's pointing to himself even in creation. He's giving us direction. I think so often we look at creation and we marvel at the beauty of it. But creation is there so we can look through it and see our creator. One of my favorite verses in scripture, that God's invisible qualities are clearly seen in creation. As we sat there and looked at the stars together and felt the cool, crisp air of fall, we remembered that God is powerful and ultimate He has no rivals. He's unmatched. He's eternal. Hudson and I decided he's got this. Remembering fuels restoration. And Ezra continues. In verse 7, we read, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur, out of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. What did God do? He kept his promise. But who do we see that God is? He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's dependable. He's surprising even. He is able. He chose an old man and his barren wife and made a promise to them. I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And he did it. He kept his promise. For a people sitting inside a city with new walls, but still ruined homes, the shell of a city that once was still not finished in its rebuilding, 
I'm sure they wanted to know that God keeps his promises. I'm sure they needed to remember that he is trustworthy and faithful, dependable and surprising, that he is able. As I was down in Charlotte celebrating my dad's 80th, I talked to another sister. She asked me over a cup of coffee in the morning what my sermon would be on this Sunday. I talked to her about the word remembering. This is my sister that lost a a child, my niece, years ago. As she talked about that season of grief in her life, she said that she made it a discipline that every day she would tell herself all the ways God had been faithful in her life. She said it was painful and hard and she had to be super intentional, but every day she would make sure that she would journal through the ways in which God had showed up in her life, through her life. She said that in that remembering, she learned again that God is indeed trustworthy, faithful, and dependable, and surprising, and able. Remembering fuels restoration. Ezra continues, And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all the servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you, Lord, you cast their, their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. What did God do? He rescued them. What does this say about who he is? He's compassionate and loving. He's caring. He's deliverer and conqueror and savior. That in the midst of their slavery, he rescued them. In many ways, I look at the addictive and destructive lifestyles that many of us can get caught into as a slavery that we need rescue from. Anger, rage, alcohol, drug abuse, pornography, gambling, promiscuity. All these places where we're trapped or enslaved where we're ruled by our pain and our sin and our struggles. God is our rescuer. He's deliverer. He's conqueror. He's savior. And he is compassionate and loving and caring and hears you and sees you in the midst of your struggle and desires desperately to rescue you. I love that we are a church filled with groups for people struggling with pain and addiction, with hurts and habits and hang-ups. 
Don't struggle alone. Let us struggle with you. Let us point you to the conqueror, the deliverer, the savior who can rescue you from the slavery you're in and give you life. He rescues. Ezra continues, you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. What did God do? He provided for his people. What does this show us? That God is generous. God is kind. He's the source of all we are and all we have. But Deuteronomy chapter 8 that I read at the beginning warns us that it's in the midst of our abundance that we can easily forget, is it not? In the midst of God's generosity, in the midst of his provision, in the midst of tasting the olives and the honey and the pomegranates and this land of abundance that we're in, this place of generosity that we find ourselves We forget that he has given us all we have. That all we have is from him. All we are is because of him. Sometimes I think that it's in the midst of abundance that it's the hardest to remember. To remember who God is. To remember that he is our provider. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to climb through the eye of a needle. This morning I had to sew on one of my buttons. I could barely get the thread through the eye of the needle. Can you imagine a camel? It's in our abundance we forget. We forget what God has done. We forget who God is. And Ezra tells us what happens when we forget. He writes or reads or prays in verse 16. They and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffed their neck. They did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Isn't that astonishing? That after God's people saw their rescuer deliver them from Egypt, after they watched as the 10 plagues fell upon Egypt, after they moved out from Egypt and watched God destroy the Egyptian army in the sea, after they walked through the sea on dry land, when bread fell from heaven and water sprung forth from rocks, when they stood beneath Mount Sinai and saw the presence of God and heard him speak, they said, 
let's go back to Egypt. You see, when we forget what God has done and who he is, we become presumptuous and stiff-necked, rebellious. I like this word, stiff-necked. It made me think of the oxen in Colonial Williamsburg. It's an agrarian term. It, It talks about people that plow their fields with oxen or pull carts with oxen. They would carry a sharp stick and they would poke the stick into the oxen's neck and move it to the left or move it to the right. But a stiff-necked oxen, a stiff-necked oxen won't move. No, you tell it to go left and it says, I think I'm going to go right. You tell it to stop and it says, I want to keep going this way. And it reminds me of walking my dog when there's a squirrel in the neighbor's yard. But it's not just oxen and dogs that develop a stiff neck, but we do too. We forget what God has done. We forget who God is. And we want to go back to Egypt. The good news is the people have come dressed in sackcloth and ashes. The people have come with dirt rubbed on their heads. It's an outward sign of an inward reality that they're seeking forgiveness, that they are sorry for their stiff-necked, rebellious ways, that they come to a God seeking forgiveness, repenting for what they have done, because they know, as they have discovered and remembered the history of God's people, that they come to a God who is, as Ezra writes, ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Remembering fuels restoration. In a moment, we'll come to the communion table a table that Jesus set up for his disciples, for us. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. The communion table I grew up with at my little church in New York said, remember me. We come and we remember. We remember what God has done. We remember who God is And we acknowledge our stiff-necked, rebellious, presumptuous ways. But we find at this table a God who is eager and ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Remembering fuels restoration. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.